This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance. Welcome to the very first episode of TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein, Director of Digital Platforms at the TS Alliance. TSC Now is part of our new digital initiative aimed at educating the TSC community about the most cutting-edge TSC research and clinical guidelines and keeping you informed about everything going on at the TS Alliance. Each month, I'll explore a specific manifestation or issue in tuberous sclerosis complex and interview clinicians, researchers, TS Alliance staff, and others on that topic. Two weeks after each episode, I'll do a brief follow-up Q&A episode where I or an expert will answer questions from you, the listeners. To submit questions, please email them to tscnow at tsalliance.org. This is my first foray into podcasting, so hopefully we both can learn something together. Since our first episode is being released on TSC Global Awareness Day, the theme today is global awareness and the 45th anniversary of the TS Alliance. And I thought since Global Day is a worldwide effort, it would be fun to check in with three of our global affiliates and partner organizations in TSC International. I conducted these interviews with Katie Smith, TS Alliance Director of Government and Global Affairs, and these interviews will be dispersed throughout this episode, starting with my conversation with Jennifer Flynn, who serves on the Board of Directors for TS Canada ST. Here's that conversation. So now we're talking to Jennifer Flynn. Jennifer is on the Board of Directors for TS Canada ST. Jennifer, thank you for talking to us. Thanks so much for having me. So what is your personal connection to tuber sclerosis complex? We have a daughter. She's 12 now, and she was born with tuberous sclerosis complex. So when she was born back in 2006, of course, it very much changed the trajectory of our lives, as it does for anyone who has a loved one with TSC. So I started off by just doing a whole bunch of research and trying to learn about TSC. And I soon discovered that we had an organization here in Canada. So I joined the organization. And then at the time, I was also working on my master's degree in education. So I shifted my thesis work to focus on the educational impacts of TSC. And and what initially motivated you to join the board of directors? Living in Canada, we're a little bit more geographically spread out. So it's difficult to find other people to connect with that maybe have a connection to TSC. So joining the board of directors gave me an opportunity to connect with some fantastic people who were on the board and just gives me the opportunity to meet people, to have a chance to talk to other people who face similar challenges. And then it's also given me the chance to connect with people all around the world in other organizations who are involved with TSC. Is, is that challenge of the geography of Canada, is, is that a common challenge for people affected by TSC? Yeah, I think that's definitely one of our specific challenges. Our country is is very large and our population is definitely quite spread out. We're very fortunate that we do have some TSC clinics here in Canada in some of our larger cities, but unfortunately most people wouldn't live 
close enough to access the clinics. So geography certainly plays a role in some of our specific challenges, just in terms of trying to find access to specialist knowledge or the right specialists, or to find access to doctors and caregivers that have knowledge about TSC. That's that's definitely one of our particular challenges. Yeah, that, that seems to be a common challenge in larger countries, especially where you could be miles away from your from the closest TSC expert. For sure. And and I think for us as well, and, and I know this is a common issue around the world, but just the issue of awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do we raise awareness, get everybody understanding TSC, get people talking about TSC, and just, just continue to disseminate that knowledge out there so that when people do present to their primary caregiver, they have access to knowledge or know where to go to get it. Well, on the subject of awareness, TSC Global Awareness Day is coming up on May 15th. How is TS Canada working to raise awareness both throughout May and then also just in general throughout the year? So we have a few things going particularly for the May awareness. We have a comedy night coming up this Saturday here in Ottawa where I am and then we have another comedy night that's going to be held in Calgary. We're also really promoting this year's uh, 2019 International Research Conference because it's being hosted in Toronto, Canada. So we're certainly promoting the research conference as well as we're hosting an education meeting at the end of the research conference where families and caregivers are invited to come. So we're really trying to highlight that. And then just, you know, promoting awareness through our, our various social media, our Facebook, our Twitter, just trying to trying to raise as much awareness out there as we can. You mentioned the International Research Conference being held in Toronto in June and the corresponding educational meeting that you all are hosting. Can you give us some more information about the educational meeting and also talk about you know, how important it is to have parents and caregivers and these researchers together. Yeah, I, you know what, it really can't be overstated how wonderful of an opportunity it is for everyone here in Canada and around the world who gets to attend any of these conferences. The chance to be together in the same room with other parents and caregivers who are impacted by TSC and to hear directly from the experts and the doctors talking about TSC, developments in TSC, best practices practices in terms of care. It's really, really a critical opportunity for for all people involved in TSC. Oftentimes, as we discussed with our geography, you may never have access to an actual TSC specialist. So although you may have some wonderful doctors and you may see a lot of different specialists, it's fairly likely that none of them will specialize specifically in TSC. So when you have a chance to go to the educational meeting or the research conference to actually get to hear from those people that have devoted their professional lives to TSC and their research to, you know, bettering the care for TSC, that's a really unique opportunity. So what are some accomplishments from TSC Canada that you are most proud of? So there's definitely a lot of things that we've done that I'm I'm really, really proud of. Our organization is, is actually really small. There are only six of us that sit on the board of directors, and we're all volunteers who have a loved one who's impacted by TSC. So just with being such a small organization, I'm really proud of some of the things that we've done. 
For example, getting clinics established here in Canada, that was certainly something that we worked on for a number of years. And we're very, very proud to have clinics running in several areas of our country. We've hosted some great educational meetings. We had one in Vancouver a couple of years ago that was excellent. And we've had smaller meetings throughout the country. We try and host different events in different areas of our country because we are so large. And they've been very successful. And that's, that's been really wonderful. We've also done a lot of work with the Canadian Organization for Rare Diseases in terms of lobbying uh, our governments around rare disease policy and around uh, drug policy and funding and things like that. And I'm definitely really proud of the, the work that's been done there. One of our directors, Kathy Evanochko, she's been working really hard with CORD and doing a lot of that advocacy at the policy level. And that's been really, really amazing for us. So just trying to kind of raise the profile of TSC and of our organization across the country. That's a lot of accomplishments for only six people to really move forward. Yeah, I like to think of us as small but mighty. One more question for you. What future breakthrough in TSC are you most looking forward to? The research, the way it's advanced over the last number of years, it's amazing how much growth there has been. Even just in the time that I've been involved in the last 12 years, it's amazing to think about how different it looked 12 years ago. So, you know, my hope is just that we just keep keep kind of going on the same path. I mean, I'm always excited about, you know, hearing about possibilities of could there be new medications coming out or new treatments coming out or treatments that are maybe started at younger ages to try and prevent some of the cognitive and and other manifestations of TSC. So I think the future is really, really bright and I'm really excited looking forward to it. And I just can't wait to see what happens next. Well, we certainly can't wait to see what happens next too. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Our thanks again to Jennifer. To learn more about the Canada Educational Meeting on Saturday, June 22nd, visit www.tscanada.ca. Our main guests this episode were Kari Luther Rosbeck, President and CEO of the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance, and Dr. Steve Roberts, Chief Scientific Officer. In this first section, We talk about the history of the TS Alliance and the achievements we are celebrating this year during our Sapphire anniversary. Here's part one of that conversation. I'm now joined by Kari Luther Rosbeck, President and CEO of the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance, and Dr. Steve Roberts, Chief Scientific Officer of the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us, Dan. So, as you both know, This is the 45th anniversary of the TS Alliance, our sapphire year, if you will. Uh, Kari, I was hoping to to start with just a brief history of how this organization was started. Absolutely. So Susan McBride put an article, An Exceptional Parent, and that generated the interest from three other moms, and they came together literally around a kitchen table to form the genesis of the organization. Um, As you know so well, Dan, we really stay true to the principles of our founding moms to provide support and information to anyone impacted by TSC 
to raise the awareness of the disease, both in the general public, but also the professional community, to heighten awareness in order to hasten diagnosis and appropriate treatment, and then really to fund and drive research. And since those humble beginnings, what have been some of the major accomplishments of the organization? Sure. Maybe I'll start, Stephen. You can jump in. I think um, when you look throughout our history, it is really our community um, really advocating for change and research and each generation sacrificing for the next. When I look at some of the major breakthroughs, um, it's because families really pushed for them from the discovery of the genes that led to the understanding of the mTOR pathway that led to knowing that there was uh, already approved drug on the market, pushing and funding early clinical trials, um, families really advocating for con- consensus and diagnosis and surveillance and treatment to provide them a roadmap um, for how to take care of themselves or their children, um, to our conferences, both national and world conferences that brought updated information about what was happening in clinical care, but also research that was on the horizon. Uh, And very importantly, I think our government relations program, which launched uh, in 2002 and really is championed by our TSC community who continue to make those appropriations happen year after year. $83 million cumulatively since 2002 to TSC research has certainly rolled the ball forward. And I'd say from a purely scientific uh, point of view, the largest breakthrough was really researchers making that connection between what the TSC 1 and 2 genes did and and how they regulated mTOR, the mechanistic target of rapamycin. It was really a, a, a breakthrough achievement uh, but nothing happens in a vacuum. And as Karin mentioned, with the history of, of the community and uh, all this back and forth um, between you know, researchers and, and the community, I think it's really exemplified by that because even though that discovery was made in fruit flies, it was all based on genetic studies, which wouldn't have been possible without clinical data and biosamples from people with TSC to enable the genes to be identified. And then the follow-up work from that discovery was uh, to then start testing mTOR inhibitors in clinical trials, again, which is not possible without people with TSC and without the community. So it's always hard to predict when and where those breakthroughs are going to come. Um, but uh, you know, I think we see the evidence that this sustained effort and this sustained uh, collaboration and communication between researchers and the TS Alliance and the TSC community are what gets us there. And one other thing, I think the launch of our community alliances in 2001 certainly changed the way that we operate and do business, and it really propelled us. So zooming in a little bit, uh, both of you have been with the TS Alliance for a pretty significant part of that 45 years, Kara. You've been with the organization for 18 years, and Steve, you're coming up on eight years at the TS Alliance. How has the organization changed in just the time that you've been here? Um, I think the organization has gained more confidence in being able to execute routinely and consistently on its goals. Uh, so, I, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, when 
when I joined eight years ago, um, I think the organization had just come off a very rough time financially with, you know, weathering the, the recession and having to make tough choices about what was going to be invested in and not invested in with precious donor dollars. And over the last several years, um, we've been able to diversify our income to the point where we're more resistant, not immune, but more resistant to changes in any one sector by having, you know, by getting donations, by getting grants, by getting contracts, um, working with um, industry. Um, there's going to be fluctuations in all of those sectors, but I think having that that differentiation gives us the confidence that we can continue to drive research at a faster pace. So I think it's interesting that in our first, it was 10 years before we funded our first research grant, but another 10 years before the first gene was discovered, mm -hmm. 20 years. And really what's happened in that time since the discovery of the gene has been really important. And the technology that's come along now um, that's really propelling rare research in general. But we're very fortunate to have found our genes in the 90s so that when the technology became you know, more precise, we already had that tool you know, in, our, in our back pocket. So Kari, you've talked a lot about the major accomplishments over the last 45 years, but what are you most proud of accomplishing under your leadership? When I um, started at the TS Alliance, I, I distinctly remembering wanting to truly be able to help somebody. And at that point, it was listening to their story and listening to all they've been through and to try to connect them with another family. We, we still do that. Um, what I'm most proud of, though, is today having FDA-approved treatments that are specific to TSC and um, other treatments now that we're beginning to test to prevent some of the manifestations of the disease. It's amazing when you look back over 18 years, that progress and the hope for the next 10 years, because I think so much more is going to change when we begin to be able to prevent these different manifestations of TSC from epilepsy to potentially autism, even looking at lymphangiomyomatosis in, in young women or angiomyolipomas in, in adults. I, I think we are going to come to a time where people are going to be able to live with TSC as a chronic disease. Um, and that's not even something we dreamed about in 2001. Do you think that's realistic for something that we could be celebrating at our 50th anniversary five years from now? Or maybe another 45 years from now? Uh, certainly another 45 years from now. I think, I think in, in five years, um, some real shift in our ability to prevent some of the most devastating uh, effects, especially in young children. And I think we can expect to start seeing a shift in what I would call the, the intellectual disability curve. So I remember when I started and, and Dr. Petrus de Vries um, had published on this, um, you know, the occurrence of, of intellectual disability in people with TSC. And there's a substantial portion 
that has a very, very low IQ, and then another substantial portion, it's actually a little bit larger, maybe 60%, that had um, a more normal, you know, curve, IQ-shaped curve. And I think over the years, those have started coming together. And then I think as we can start to get a handle on preventing the development of epilepsy, um, I'm hypothesizing that we will prevent the development of most of that intellectual disability. And so that we'll really shift that part. I think that's something we can start to see um, at our 50th anniversary. So just to put a bow on our discussion about the 45th anniversary, uh, Kari, can you tell us a little bit about how we're celebrating our 45th anniversary this year? Sure, absolutely. So we're sharing stories of these families that have deeply impacted our organization. It started with our Perspective magazine. Um, we have been celebrating at each of our big community gatherings from um, our March on the Hill, where we had many of our community leaders together in March, uh, to Comedy for a Cure, Sound Bites, our regional conferences. But of course, this will culminate um, in October, on October 3rd, at our 45th anniversary gala. And there we're planning some really special tributes to some of these advocates that have shaped our organization in the form of, of video stories that we'll be sharing at the gala. And we're so excited for that that evening. Stay tuned for part two of that conversation later in the episode. Next, we talk to Ava Scooters, president of BTSC in Belgium. Here's that conversation. Now we're talking to Eva Scooters. She's president of BTSC in Belgium. Eva, thank you for taking time to talk to us. Welcome. So what, what is your connection to tuberous sclerosis? I have a son, he's 10 year old, 10 year old and he has TSC. He got his diagnosis when he was about a year and a half. So what ultimately motivated you to start an, an organization in Belgium? Well, it did take us quite a while, actually, to get involved with organization, with organizing anything in Belgium, because we were really tired out and a bit freaked out the first years. And it was more than enough to just take in what was being told about our own son and handling his very demanding behavior. But after some years, things started to quieten down and, well, at least emotionally. And we did get to know some other people. And you just feel the value of meeting people who understand what you're talking about. And the motivation grew. And then I attended the first conference, the TC conference for me, the first one in September 2015. And it was like... Mind, a mind-blowing experience for me. Just being in a TSC world all of a sudden with everybody in the hotel that you crossed knew what it was, knew what we were, you were talking about. You didn't have to explain anything. It was amazing. And I attended the first TSCI meeting and that was mind-blowing as well. And I was really... Well, it was strange because we hadn't even started our association, so I felt really happy that I was allowed to attend. And when I came back, I had like adrenaline coming out of my ears because of all the ideas that had been put in and all the all the input I had had. I, I just wanted to get going really badly then, 
And since then, it's just been like this huge uh, train that's gone. Yeah, it's just got started and it's, yeah, it's been going quite strongly. So May 15th is TSC Global Awareness Day. Is the Belgian group doing anything to help raise awareness on that day? Well, yes. And the thing is, we, we always have our members day on around the date. So we're having it now on Sunday. So we're planning to make a special, a special photo session with some banners. And we'll put those online. We have quite a big number of people coming for our group. So we're happy and I hope it's nice weather to have really nice group photographs. And we're also sending small booklets that we made on Living with TSC to our members for the 15th. And we'll be promoting that on social media on the 15th again. And what we also would like to do is we have a bag with our logo and uh, a tagline and the map of Belgium. And we've been distributing this to our members. And we have all these little hearts that you can put on at the place where you're living on the map saying, we put TSC on the map. So you mentioned that, you know, you had the opportunity to attend that TSCI meeting and really get exposed to how there were these groups all over the world who were raising awareness of TSC and then trying to improve the lives of TSC in their own countries. You're now the co-chair of TSCI. What, how do you think these, like this connection and these bringing these groups together, why is that important in building international collaboration? Well, there's this strange thing about feeling connection with people. It gives you energy and it's really empowering just to know that there's people out there fighting the same battle and living the same worries and creating the same energy amongst themselves to try to, well, create support, warmth and solidarity. And the absolute added value of TCI is that it, there's a huge amount of expertise there. And that's not coming from me yet, but just the people around the table of people who've been in there for a long time, who've seen things change. They know what the really important things are that patient organizations can achieve, have achieved. And just sharing that, it's very inspirational, gives a lot of hope, and it kind of guides you in what you do at the national level. So I feel really privileged at being able to contribute and quite humble at working with the people I work with because for me, it does remain quite new still and I still have a lot to learn. What's one major accomplishment that you're proud of coming out of BTSC over the last couple of years? Well, last year we did a two-day meeting specifically about TAN, TSC-associated neuropsychiatric disorders in October 2018. The first day was directed at European professionals and was organized in collaboration with ETSC, the European TSC Association. And we had 70 professionals over from 14 different countries. And the whole day was dedicated to PAND issues. And the second day, the same audience was invited to continue, but we also had the families and patients in, and we had really nice interactive sessions. I think it was quite impactful. Yeah, I would think that's our major achievement up to now. And, and I guess finally, is there anything on the horizon, either research or an initiative that that makes you excited, that makes you hopeful for the future? Yes, well, continuing the story on TAND, there's a 
big research grant been given now to international research projects, which will be led by Petrus de Vries from South Africa and Anayanso from the University Hospital of Brussels, which will be devoted to TAND and will uh, look at things in diverse steps. But one of the steps will really be to look for practical ways to support patients and parents with TAND issues. And yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to how this will progress. And I hope we will be uh, involved. I guess we will be. We are, we are partners out there, but things have to get started. So it's quite exciting to see how this is going to work out. It brings hope. And just the fact that it's going to happen is really a big support to people living the issues with PAMD every day. Thank you so much for sharing your personal experience. And also thank you for your leadership in, in Belgium. I, I think it's so important to have people who are willing to commit the time to form these organizations and reach out to families and let them know that they aren't alone. And so the work yeah. you're doing is extremely important. Thanks, because it's always encouraging to hear because sometimes you do wonder, why am I doing all this? Okay. <laughs> but now that we have like 50 people coming over on Sunday and there's quite a few new families, I feel, oh, it's going to be really exciting to have them all together again. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and, and share about your experience in Belgium. You're welcome. Our thanks again to Ava. You can learn more about the International Tandem Project being conducted by Dr. DeVries on our website by hovering over researchers and clicking TSC Alert. Now, here's part two of my conversation with Steve and Kari, where we talk about the Unlock the Cure campaign. You, you talked about how, you know, we funded our first research grant in 1984. But then in 2011, we unrolled the Unlock the Cure campaign, which was really the first concerted effort to move research forward and to drive research as an organization. Could you talk a little bit about how this campaign was different and why it was so successful in rallying our community around research? Yeah, I think Steve referenced the, the recession and, and coming on board as we were just getting out of this very difficult time where I think as an organization, we had to make tough decisions about did we cut research grants? Did we not fund? Re I think there was one year we didn't fund research grants because as the leader of the organization, I, I didn't want to have to cut back on the grants we'd already committed to. I thought it was very important for our credibility to maintain the grants that we had said that we would fund. Um, so coming out of that recession and, and during the recession, I very much remember feeling like scaffolding was being built around us, that we weren't any longer the driver of TSC research. And it was very important, I think, organizationally to get a handle on what was happening in the field, what were tools that the TS Alliance could develop that was very unique to our organization, that was collaborative, that wasn't being done at any one university, the things that really we could do, only we could do and we could do well. And so Unlock the Cure was not only a capital fundraising campaign to be able to create and roll out these tools, it's also what we called our research platform because we were unlocking the way 
to where we are today, which is we want to change the course of the disease. Um, and and that's the, the next phase. When you think strategically about uh, organization and, you know, where where our dollars uh, should be invested most responsibly, I think what we've done is is realize that we're a, a relatively small piece of the research grant enterprise. Um, the NIH and the TSCRP through the Department of Defense fund, you know, 30 to, to the $35 million worth of TSC research each year. Depends on the grants that come in for the NIH and things like that. But they, they can fund a, a lot of um, a lot of money, and even if we had three million dollars that we were putting into grants, that would just be another ten percent. Now, not that that wouldn't be valuable and helpful, but is it the most bang for the buck that the TS Alliance can get? And, and the other piece is, um, you know, what can we do differently that than the government organizations can? Um, because they're they're run by the government, um, things are very standardized and. And grants are often given for a fixed period of time, three, four, maybe five years. And so it's hard to sustain large collaborative projects that way. And, and even when they do, the, the investigators are forced to reapply and get you know these large amounts of money. And it's always at risk every five years. Where the TS Alliance can be different is by investing in this infrastructure that we can maintain much longer than the period of a grant. And we've shown that with the Natural History Database, which has um, been, been running for 12 years and, and going into its 13th year. And that's something we've been able to maintain. And so what we've done is develop other research resources through the Unlock the Cure campaign that are shared, that are available to researchers around the world um, whether they're in academia or industry, to encourage anybody with a good idea um, to invest their time and money in working on TSC because the TS Alliance is making these shared collaborative resources available. And that's that's something that is, uh, you know, I feel much better positioned for a patient advocacy group that always has the needs of the patients first and foremost and what the priorities are for our community. So you mentioned, you know, building research resources like the Natural History Database and more recently the Biosample Repository. Mm -hmm. how, how do these resources help you know, advanced drugs along the drug discovery pipeline. Right. So there are lots of pieces to to drug discovery and development, uh, but one of the one of the biggest hurdles is the very expensive parts, the clinical trial parts, and so natural history data helps give us and researchers a quantitative picture because it's got it's entered from medical medical data medical records so a quantitative picture of the disease we know it affects everybody differently so um, but we can detect patterns or we can detect subsets and we can ask questions about well why is this subset different than that well sometimes the medical data can answer that and sometimes it can't sometimes what you need is 
a biosample from the person. Um, sometimes it's the DNA, it might be a genetic answer, or it might be something in their blood that might serve as what we call a biomarker, some, some marker that's circulating the blood that reflects an underlying disease process that's a little bit different in these people with TSC than these people. And the way that's really useful for drug development is that it enables um, companies or, or um, funded researchers to identify a subset of patients that, um, or possible participants in which uh, a particular therapy is more likely to um, work than another, or perhaps to identify as in the, the PREVENT trial that's ongoing, the babies with TSC that are at urgent risk of developing epilepsy versus those who have a normal EEG and don't seem to be at risk of epilepsy. And so then when you're doing the clinical trials, you can prioritize so that um, you know that population at risk is the group that's enrolled in the trial. And, uh, and so that everything's more efficient and it's safer for those people who are participating. So there's a lot of positives, uh, I think, that having those things um, to understand and, and help researchers design better clinical trials and better endpoints is important. And then on the front end, uh, we've got to have new ideas for treatments. And so that's where our research grants, because we do still still give research grants, um, come in to generate new ideas, and our preclinical consortium, which is set up specifically to test in a very rigorous and reproducible way uh, new potential drugs that researchers, again, in academia or industry are coming up with that might be useful in clinical trials. And so the concept here is that with this uh, with our research grants and our preclinical consortium, we can help push new ideas forward towards clinical trials. And then with our natural history data and our biosample and our clinical research consortium, we've got the data and the resources and the infrastructure to help attract investors to, you know, whether it's a company or, or, or government grants, to attract those investors to fund clinical trials because there's so much known um, about the clinical state and we can design good clinical studies and endpoints. And do you think that working collaboratively with our two consortiums, both the preclinical consortium and the clinical research consortium, has um, affected the, the rigor and the focus of the research community around TSC? Yes, I think it. I think it really has, um, and some concrete examples. So, with the clinical research consortium, because they've been working together on four different uh, NIH-funded clinical studies or trials, they've developed a not only a, a good working relationship, but or perhaps just as important, ways of doing the research very rigorously so that MRIs, uh, for example, are done exactly the same way at all the different institutions, and they standardize those by shipping the same you know, control um, box, if you will, around to all the different scanners so that they're uh, so that so that we know we're getting the same reading um, uh, on all the different scanners. So it's very tightly controlled. In fact, they go to the point of sending the same person um, every once in a while to each of the sites to have that person imaged to make sure that all of that is controlled. So it's really increased the rigor. 
And on the preclinical side, uh, very similar. By, by choosing um, a, a subset of animal models and not potentially all the models that are possible to use, uh, by choosing those that are really uh, the, the best studied and the most reproducible, and then having those run in a contract research lab where they're run the same way every time, and um, ha has, I think, increased that uh, that rigor and that reproducibility of the data to allow us to, to compare across uh, lots of different mechanisms, lots of different molecules, and and time that we can compare results that we got in 2016 to results that we'll get next year, because it's the same, the same strain of animals being tested in the same way. And Kari, as part of Unlock the Cure, we've always taken the approach that um, we wanted the TSC community to be part of research, and we want them to help drive research, and we want them to show us the way and tell us what's important why why is, was it important for us to take that patient-focused approach, and how do you think it's made the research that we've done so much stronger? Sure. Um, why is it important? Because we need to know what matters to them, where to focus our research. Um, one thing that we did um, in early 2015, before there was a workshop that was hosted by the National Institutes of Health, which was really about getting all of the major funders for TSC research, NIH, the DOD, and the TS Alliance together, is we pulled our community. We asked them what was the most important um, aspects of research, what were, what were the things that were most burdensome to them? Um, where did they want us to focus our research? And, and we took that into the workshop and Steve presented the results and it really helped shape how people had their discussions during that, that strategic planning session. We do the same in our constituency surveys. We've certainly done that in looking at what are the most urgent needs to address. Um, and we did it in our patient-focused drug development meeting. What, what came out of that certainly was, um, and, and we knew it, but it's just really been emphasized, is the TSC-associated neuropsychiatric disorders and the fact that so little has been done to move that needle forward. We have the PREVENT trial, and I really feel like that's addressing the epilepsy and TASERN um, and the ACE study addressing um, autism, but TAND was one that at, in general, because of course autism is part of TAND, but looking at, at the whole umbrella was something that came out of the patient-focused drug development meeting. Um, and just, you know, a couple other ways that we really involve the community. Um, they are consumer reviewers on our research grants now. They sit on steering committees for the preclinical consortium and the natural history database biosample repository steering committee. Um, obviously, they gave testimony at the patient-focused drug development meeting, and we constantly seek their feedback in, are we moving in the right direction in our research? And I think you've seen this year, as we've really focused on TAND and launched the TAND initiative, the response has been amazing. Like people really, this is a I call a silent manifestation of TSC. We've opened the door for people to talk about it and, and that they know that we're listening and that we're, we're helping, we're doing something, we're trying to move the ball forward. It's going to take a while because this is a, a big area that needs to be addressed. But if we can just start moving the needle a little, I, I, I feel like we're making a big difference. 
We have one more section of that conversation coming up in just a bit. But first, we talk to Rahul Viparti, Managing Trustee of the TS Alliance of India, which is celebrating its first anniversary on Global Awareness Day this year. Here's that conversation. We're now joined by Rahul Viparti, Managing Trustee of the TS Alliance of India. Rahul, thanks for taking time to talk to us today. Welcome. It's a pleasure joining you. So what is your personal connection to tuber sclerosis complex? I have an 11-year-old daughter who was diagnosed with TSC at the age of uh, four months. And what originally motivated you to start an organization in your country? There were actually a couple of threads which came together to bring this organization to life. Initially, way back about like uh, eight years ago, a few of us parents were keeping in touch on a mailing list. And that few parents became 20 parents and mailing list uh, outgrew its utility. So we migrated to a WhatsApp group to keep in touch. And that peer support gave us parents a lot of confidence to face TAC together. And uh, over a period of time, it was fairly evident that we were hungry for more information on uh, how to manage uh, TSC. And we needed to get the information firsthand from uh, premier institutions, uh, expert doctors, researchers, and uh, peers who had uh, far more experience in managing TSC individuals. And secondly, there was a genuine concern that for other uh, TSC caregivers who did not have the access to the knowledge which we had. So our uh, concern became like, how do we reach them? How do we mobilize them? And having an entity which gave us credibility, we thought like was one of the way to go. And lastly, on a personal note, my father and daughter had a very close bond and it was his personal desire that something be done to help the children with TSC to uh, live their lives better. He was not keeping good health, so I took it upon myself to expedite the process of setting up a legal entity. And he departed one week after Tuberculosis Association in India became a legal entity. So that keeps me motivated saying that it, it's a last wish it's a really inspiring story that this this yeah. was you know his vision to see that kind of support network created and that you know he he lived to be able to see it come to fruition i think is a really heartening story and and obviously a strong source of motivation in a country like india where you know it, it's highly populated it's a very large country what are some of the unique challenges that families with TSC experience and then you as an organization experience? TSC is a very uh, different kind of disease. It's it's 24 by 7 kind of a disease. The care for TSC individual continues into the home. Now, one of the challenge for India is like, Uh, Our caregivers are not equipped with the necessary uh, skills, knowledge, or tools to handle TSC at uh, home. So from an organizational point of view, getting this information and knowledge out to them is going to be a very big challenge. Like you mentioned, India is a vast country. It has got uh, many, many languages. 
and it's like most of them speak their uh, regional language. So we have like almost 60% of our members speaking a first language, which is uh, different from English. And so getting the information out to them in their language, we'll have to literally translate it into 10 languages. Second is the family's access to medical infrastructure. Few doctors in India are really specialized in treating TSE. And the two experts who exist are uh, overwhelmed. So these experts can hardly spend about 15 minutes with a patient. And uh, same is uh, the case with the hospitals. A few hospitals have the systems and processes to approach uh, TSE patients. And one more challenge is like the socioeconomic challenge. And most of them do not have medical insurance. So the financial burden literally cripples the family's uh, standard of living. And again, we have like social challenges. Social norms kind of prevent the families from coming out and seeking help from family members or integrate the child into society. Or even like we've noticed that people are not willing to join our peer support group because they will be called out. How do you challenge that? stigma of not wanting to talk about the disease we have to be examples ourselves mm-hmm. for me I, I mean the most of us we don't mind openly talking about our child with the child right next to us and we don't mind sharing our experiences and so once they start identifying or having a role model saying that uh, okay if they can do it we can do it also then it, it becomes easier for them to take the first baby steps to get out of that uh, mental uh, makeup of saying that uh, I'm isolated, I do not have any support. You know, you're coming up on one year of the existence of the TS Lines of India. Uh, What are some accomplishments in that first year that you're really proud of? One of our uh, objectives was to give credibility to the organization, saying that uh, we are talking, uh, I mean, We are promising everybody saying that we'll get experts and we'll interface the parents with the experts in TSC. And I think that is where we kind of got lucky and we had like some very good events with some of the top TSC researchers in the world. Being able to attract such high quality experts to interface with our members and uh, we recorded all the sessions and put them up on YouTube. So I think that uh, is one of our uh, big achievements. You you talked a little bit about producing videos that can live on after you bring in TSC experts and connecting with people on Facebook. So May 15th is TSC Global Awareness Day. Is the TS Alliance of India planning some sort of awareness events around that day? Yes, I think uh, we did this last time also. One, uh, we had like like a family picnic. And uh, in that picnic, uh, we carry artifacts like little flags and banners and T-shirts. So last time we had it in three cities. Hopefully this time we can do 10. Second, uh, we've reached out to a lot of doctors uh, and hospitals. And many have agreed to have a poster on TSC. Uh, what is TSE? What is its uh, manifestations uh, in their hospital or in their doctor's consult room for a week around uh, May 15th? And uh, also, we are doing that uh, factoid countdown 
on uh, Facebook and WhatsApp. So I guess now that looking to the future, what breakthrough either in TSC or for your organization are you most excited about? Uh, basically, I want uh, the only future back to I want in TSC uh, for our organization is for it to be irrelevant. You know, I really hope that there is a cure in the recent future. Well, we're so grateful for everything that you're doing in India, for the connections you're making, for your efforts to, you know, educate people despite all of the challenges there. I, it's important, and I and I think the the progress you've made in just the last year has been really incredible. And thank you again for taking time to talk to us today. No problem, anytime. Our thanks again to Rahul Viparti. All right, here's part three of my conversation with Kari and Steve, where they discuss our research business plan, TSC Global Awareness Day, and what they are looking forward to this year. So now the stage is set, you know, looking forward, we are unveiling a five-year research business plan that we're calling Investment to Accelerate Research with a goal of raising $56 million over the next five years to really move research forward. So why is now the right time to come forward with this sort of aggressive plan? Well, I think you just heard us talk about the foundational tools that have been developed out of Unlock the Cure. Um, And I think we have shown that we can be successful. We've shown that these tools work. Now it's a matter of scaling them up and really adding some innovative, directed funding as well. Um, I think it's the right time because everything is in place. Um, And... We've shown success with the PREVENT trial, for instance, in hopefully, knock on wood, a prevention of epilepsy and improving cognitive outcomes in newborns, we'll know. But I mean, that's one foot in the water. Um, imagine with a concerted effort of $56 million, how we can really change the course of TSC. I mean, that's the goal. We want to change the course of TSC for people living with this disease today and for generations to come. So in the, you know, in, in the short term, which I consider five years, uh, you know, kind of the short term, if you will, those dollars can have a huge impact in some very concrete ways. So one is through increasing the number of compounds that we've tested through even more, more relevant models in the preclinical consortium so that we are engaging more researchers and more companies earlier on bringing new things forward. Uh, I think the innovation funding that Kari mentioned, the, the real difference there uh, between what we funded before or even what the NIH or the TSCRP fund is that the concept is we, we know and we become aware of really critical questions that we need to get over the hump, that we can have workshops and we can have meetings and we can talk about them, but without the funding to actually address the problems, we can't move forward. And so the innovation workshops and the innovation funding are set up to go hand in hand so that our 
TSC community and our researchers and our clinicians agree on what are some of the most pressing problems right now that we need to figure out how to address. And we have a workshop and we talk about how do we address this? How do we solve these problems? What kind of work is needed? And then as soon as that workshop's over, we put out a call for proposals to say, here's what needs to be done. Send us in your proposals about how you could do research to address these key problems. And we're gonna review those and we're gonna fund the, you know, the most meritorious proposals. And we're gonna fund it right now and we're gonna fund it with hundreds of thousands of dollars so that we can move this forward with urgency. And that's where accelerating the research comes in. So the $56 million question then is, how do we raise $56 million in five years? Sure. So I think it starts with um, showing our success, reaching out to private foundations that have we haven't approached before because we can show this this history of success, going to some of our major donors, both those that we've worked with in the past, but some of the major donors that are in our database that we haven't necessarily worked with in the past and really doing our, our research, um, going after, after government grants that we've never pursued before. Um, I think it is a variety of different methods to get to 56 million, and it's not 56 million tomorrow, it's 56 million over five years, and it's really meant to be scaled up. Um, we're going to spend the first few years really doing our research, going out and meeting with folks, stating our case, um, and it grows over time. But Steve has also built a plan that is scalable. If we don't raise the 56 million, we're not going to risk putting the organization out of business. We'll either scale up our programs or it'll just take longer to do what we want to do. We kind of hope that we'll raise the money all up front so we can do more now and not have to wait because we really do feel like the technology, the collaboration, the tools, everything is in place. And it's just a matter of funding to really activate this network. And so five years from now, assuming we're able to raise all this money and really move research forward, how would the day-to-day -day experience of living with TSC be different? Um, so there's, I'll, I'll give one example, perhaps, and then you can maybe fill in in the weeds. So one of the things that that we have in the plan that's that's very tangible is innovation workshop. We'd like to talk about newborn screening. So to get on the newborn screening panel, you have to have an intervention. We're hoping that the prevent trial will prove successful so that there's an intervention. But still, to get on the newborn screening panel, you need to have an assay that's quick, efficient, and cheap uh, and can be produced with a drop of, of blood. Um, we don't have an assay today. So we need to develop that quick, easy, and cheap way to screen newborns. Uh, because we have an intervention, then we have to pilot test it, and then we can apply to be added to the newborn screening. So I'm hoping in five years, knock on wood, that TSC would be on the newborn screening panel because we have an intervention. We've got a cheap, effective, and, and efficient assay, and then we can begin finding um, babies before they start having seizures or, you know, those that, that we're not finding today because maybe they don't have heart rhabdomyomas. Um, 
so that's a very impactful way that we're hoping this research plan will move the needle. Mm -hmm. That's just one way. Yeah, another way uh, that is directly applicable to those living with TSC today uh, of all ages is that um, in the in years three, four, and five of the plan, because it, it does take more funds, so we, we need to raise the funds to do it, is to gather uh, real life data from uh, TSC clinics uh, on in, in what we call a learning healthcare system, so that you connect the clinical data that's being collected, not just in our natural history database, but um, with outcomes and, and treatments, and then learn from the data that's collected at these different clinics what treatment patterns are resulting in the best outcomes. Um, currently, those you know living with TSC uh, spend far too much of their time dealing with insurance companies and arguing for reimbursement. And some of that, not all of it, but some of it is because there is no clear, there's not enough data to say clearly you should have an MRI every year or you should have an MRI every two years. Um, we have consensus guidelines that are based on clinical practice and there's usually a range in those guidelines that, um, well, depending on a person's situation, they probably need an abdominal MRI every one to three years. Well, if an insurance company sees that, they're going to say, well, why not every three years? <laughs> Let's do that. And and I think what we need is, is when you've got a, you may have a physician that says, no, but this person's medical situation, we need to see it every year. Um, we need the data to really drive that. And, and if we can take the data then and show it to payers and say, um, this sort of surveillance or this sort of treatment does lead to superior outcomes, then we can get that adopted at all of the all of the clinics and hopefully even hospitals around the country that aren't TSC clinics. Um, and we can also get payers to pay for them. This first episode of TSC Now is coming out on May 15th, also known as TSC Global Day. Global Day uh, was started in 2013 in partnership with TSC International and other TSC organizations around the world as a way of really raising awareness of TSC globally. Why is this effort so important? Why is it important to raise awareness of TSC in the general public? I think the idea behind it was to make sure that people were being diagnosed quickly um, with proper treatments and proper clinical care um, to raise awareness uh, that would help us all fund more and better research and really move the needle forward. And instead of having an entire month, which can seem overwhelming, to concert all of our energy around the world on one day to really heighten the profile worldwide. Um, and it, I think that by sharing our stories and sharing the facts about TSC, people sharing how, what it's like to live with TSC, um, it's, it's really made a tremendous impact over six years all around the world. And finally, what are you most looking forward to this year? Wow, it is a big year. Um, there are so many things. Uh, I, I'm really excited about our regional conferences, um, personally. I think they're a, a 
perfect example of what I was talking about in collaboration. Um, we're hosting them in partnership with the Lamb Foundation. We have our collaborators at the Child Neurology Foundation, the ARC, Mass Mutual, all providing speakers to these. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. And we've expanded from three to five because we wanna take this collaborative example out into more communities. Um, and I think celebrating our 45 years of really making a difference in the lives of individuals with TSC through innovation, inspiration, and hope is something I'm really looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to the unexpected. There's always something each year where an advance is made or, or something key is learned that, um, you know, we weren't informed enough or we weren't smart enough or we, you know, whatever, to, to see it coming. And um, that's what I'm looking forward to, because by the end of the year, I'll be able to look back and say, I, I didn't see that coming. That, that's great. But I, yeah, but I, I know it will be there. Part of what makes being part of this team so much fun is how dynamic we are and how we demonstrate an ability that when something unexpected happens, we adapt and we and we build around it. And, you know, I think the the TAND initiative that we've talked about is a great example of that, where there was a cry from our community that we need more resources. And so we planned and we've and we've worked collaboratively with our partners to start developing those resources to help people really struggling with that. So I, I agree. I think I'm sure there's going to be something that comes up this year that we aren't expecting, and I'm really excited to see what it is. Yeah, I, I, if I could just add, I think um, the symposium at the Child Neurology Society meeting with the Child Neurology Foundation on harmful and disruptive behaviors is going to be a game changer, I think. And it's, and it's looking at epilepsies and autism. So kind of not just TSC, because as we went out and talked with our partners and collaborators, we found out that that TAND-like behaviors perforate all of these other genetic um, diseases um, and, and genetic causes of autism. I think across the field, listening to families and that, it, it's, it's going to make such a big difference mm -hmm. for quality of life. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and thank you for being such courageous leaders of this organization. It definitely makes it more fun to come to work every day and to be part of this team. Thank you, Dan. Well, and thanks to the listeners who are far more courageous than we are. That's right. That's right. Thanks again to Kari and Steve for sharing their stories from the past and their vision for the future. Now, before we go, I caught up with Jill Woodworth, host of TSC Talks, a podcast where she talks with parents, caregivers, and professionals about TSC and its interrelated challenges and where they share their stories. Here's my conversation with Jill. We're now joined by Jill Woodworth, host of TSC Talks. Jill, thanks for talking to me today. You're welcome. Honored. So what, what, what's your connection to TSC? I have a pretty deep connection to it. I have three children that are impacted or affected by TSC. My ex-husband and various fa uh, 
family members. It's been a huge part of my life. So it was kind of like a natural evolution to talk about it. And when, you know, back at the beginning when my daughter was diagnosed, there's just a lot of people that, you know, nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, I felt like I needed to talk about it with, with people that could understand. Mm-hmm. And and would you say that's sort of what motivated you to start a podcast in the first place? That's, it's not quite, it's not, not as simple as that. I guess I was training for the Boston Marathon and I was trying to raise awareness on my own, you know, using the experiences I've had with my kids and just feeling like they're there. I needed to uh, something else, another, another form of like communication. So I thought, well, I'll interview my kids about it. And um, I, st- I did that like a few years ago. And I think when my daughter, my oldest daughter with TSC moved out into a shared living placement, um, she had moved out and I was sad. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to share this. We're going to talk about situation and put that on the air as a podcast. And, and then shortly after that, you know, I was involved with the TS Alliance as far as the team TSC. And I was working on that. And that kind of met a need there in that space where she'd moved out. And I was not really able to look for a job and um, looking for some way to connect. So went to the World Conference and felt like I'd found my tribe. But still, I felt like there was so much more. And I also I felt like I needed to go back and understand kind of what I went through. Um, and wondering if anybody else wanted to talk about it more. So when you picked up the podcast again after the World's Conference, what was what were your initial goals with it? And how have they changed over time? Starting out, I think it was more just, let's just talk about it. Let's just, you tell me your story. I'm going to put it out there. And hopefully it's some, somewhat cathartic for you and myself. And I'm kind of at the same time as I'm listening to your story, it's kind of helping me process those parts of my life where I was going through similar things and not really, you know, having that anybody to talk about it with. So that's kind of how it started. And then it's kind of changed into where I am trying to make it a business. I'm going to be crowdfunding it. I've got, um, I'm trying to develop a web platform, which was an idea that grew out of the podcast with another parent, um, Caroline Ramirez, various other podcasts, other, you know, resources like blogs that other people in the community develop and just kind of fleshing out and also, you know, some professionals, too, that, are, that have kids that are impacted with TSC. You know, there's just so much that I, so much potential with it right now. What I think what the biggest thing that I, I've also learned about is the, the weight of the um, chronic ongoing traumatic experiences that we're experiencing, that we live through. And no one had really kind of put that together for me um, until you know, through the process of the podcast. And uh, I had a guest on that talked about parent caregiver PTSD and mental health issues. I was just getting people that wanted to talk about that or wanted me to bring that up. So that was, you know, a pivotal moment. And then, um, you know, I think I had Caroline Ramirez on and she talked about uh, trauma and how we as parents are, not only are we witnessing trauma in our children, but it's, we are experiencing it at the same time and we can't really escape it. And developing resilience and learning to like ride the waves of TSC is a big, a big, you know, one of the catchwords or catchphrases in the community. And it's really true is how do we move in and out of these crisis situations? Um, sure. I also have, um, a bit, you know, I'm doing it with 
one of my friends who, you know, kind of has jumped into the TSC world and uh, my audio editor and business partner, Lisa Larson, is on board with this whole TSC talk. She's done all the editing, the audio editing, and like just fast, not fascinated, but really moved by everyone's stories, had no understanding of kind of what I'd gone through. Um, and just kind of, I don't know, I, I don't know if you've probably met people like that, maybe even yourself, where you're like, you're exposed to these uh, incredible people that are dealing with life circumstances that you can't imagine. And it's kind of like, it opens a different world to you. So, you know, I, I think you touched on a couple of things there that are, are really interesting. The idea that everyone has their own story and, you know, the unspoken trauma that parents and caregivers of individuals with special needs go through as part of that process. And I'm just wondering, you know, you've, you've talked to a lot of people now who have shared their journey with you and, you know, what have been some of the more emotional or insightful conversations you've had and, and what have you learned from talking to them? I could, I pulled up a list of all the podcasts I've done and I can, I, I'm going to get emotional even, you know, every single one, every single person brought something to my awareness that they dealt with that either I hadn't experienced as well as, um, you know, something that they'd overcome kind of like, you know, I, I guess I think of it like TSC, maybe it's the worst thing that ever happened to you, but how has it also changed you as a human being? And yeah, I can, it's funny because I think in some ways I'm creating some kind of like, I don't want to say traumatic memory, but like this visual memory, I can look at the episodes and remember where I was sitting when I was interviewing them. And um, that's kind of like, I go into the moment and try to really connect with whoever it is. Like I've had my son on, which was another moving one for me, um, son that I, for my first marriage, lost custody of, or gave custody of him to his dad. Um, now he's a school psychologist and, um, he's here. He is on my podcast. And, um, another podcast guest that was inspirational, which they all were and are still is Adriana Piltz. She came on the podcast after I read an article that she wrote in scary mom, mommy about a pilot project that she's starting for adults living with IDD and autism based on the needs of her son, Nikki, who has is severely impacted by TSC and was in a group home. She pulled him out of the group home, dropped out of her Wall Street job, and is devoting her time and passion and purpose to this Nikki's Garden of Hope project, which I've actually gotten involved with as well. And she is fundraising, getting impact investors, and doing an amazing job. Thank you for everything you've done with the TS Alliance and with TSC Talks. If people want to listen to TSC Talks, how can they find you? They can go on the Google and they can type in TSC Talks and I've got a ton of links. My website is going to be, our website is going to be www.tsctalks.com. That's going to be live soon. Facebook, you know, we're on all the major platforms. So uh, the best way, and you can tell your Alexa to play the podcast, TSC Talks. So we're out there and we're pretty easy to find. And so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, I think the TS Alliance in, I am more than blown away with the organization and just the real collaborative, no ego, let's get this done kind of atmosphere. Well, 
thank you. We we do the best we can here, and uh, like I said, we're we're nothing without our amazing community and and people like you. So, well, thanks, Dan. Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for taking time to talk to me today. I really appreciate yeah, it. My pleasure and honor. So, good luck with everything. I can't wait to uh, see how it does. Thanks again to Jill Woodworth. Be sure to check out TSC Talks for moving stories and insights directly from the TSC community. Well, that will do it for our first episode of TSC Now. Don't forget to submit your questions for our Q&A follow-up episode via tscnow at tsalliance.org. And feel free to let me know what you thought of the episode and what suggestions you have. This has been fun. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tsalliance.org slash tscnow. Be sure to email your questions in for the Q&A episode to tscnow at tsalliance.org. Thanks for listening.